Some hymns really just get you. Amen. Amen indeed. My title is While You Have the Light. While You Have the Light. If you see in John chapter 12, Please go to verse 20. We're just going to read through. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, He must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw men to myself, all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in a darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. 
For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Before we get into uh, our study, before we go to and start with these verses this morning, I'm going to read to you something from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, considering this text, considering this foretaste of the garden. He says, Our Lord passed through His passions in a kind of rehearsal before it came. He saw those Greeks who came to Philip and whom Andrew and Philip brought to Him, and His heart was flushed with joy. This was to be the result of His death, that the Gentiles would be gathered to Him. That thought reminded Him of His approaching decease. It was very near. Only a few days would elapse, then he would die upon the cross. In anticipation of Calvary, his soul was full of trouble. Not that he feared death, but his death was to be a very peculiar one. He was to die the just for the unjust. He was to bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And his pure and holy soul shrank from contact with sin. To stand in the sinner's place, to bear his father's wrath, this bewildered him. He was very faint of heart, and he cried, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour, for this cause I came. Unto this hour, Father, glorify thy name. Without any wickedness, Without any weakness, he proved how truly human he was. Without any sinful repining at his father's will, he saw how terrible that will was, and he shuddered at what it included. This was the kind of rehearsal for Gethsemane. It was a sipping of the cup whereof he was to drink until his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground while his soul poured out the agonized petition, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Father, again we ask that you would Give us understanding of your word that you would set our, fo- our hearts on fire for Christ. That you would do what only you can do in our hearts this day. Help me this morning to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The crowd responded to what Jesus said. In verse 34, it was clear what he meant. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But they responded and said, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And when they reference the law here, it is meaning the Old Testament scriptures in general. Not sure which scriptures the crowd may have been referring to. There's several possibilities. They may have not even been sure of a direct reference. 
Possibly Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, which says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. But they said, we have heard this out of the law, that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say then, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? We remember their thoughts of who the Messiah was to be. What He was going to do, and how He was going to do it, according to their vernacular, according to their opinion. This did not line up with the Messiah that was in their midst. The crowd was still amped up over the triumphal entry. They were expecting Jesus to meet their expectations of a Messiah. But Jesus was not there to win a popularity contest, was He? He came to preach the truth, to fulfill Scripture, to glorify the Father, and to rescue the souls of men. Jesus speaks of his death when they were looking for a political or military conqueror. They already knew that Jesus was referring to himself as the Son of Man. So when they asked this question here, who is the Son of Man? They wanted to know the function of the Son of Man. F.F. Bruce helps us here when he says the speakers or the crowd They were right in some ways in in what they had been taught from the law and accepting what they had been taught from the law as they were right in their uh, inference from Jesus' words, but they were wrong in supposing that His words, as they understood them, contradicted the teaching of Scripture. And they were wrong because they failed to grasp that the Son of Man's being lifted up would be the decisive inauguration of Messiah's endless reign. Several points for us this morning to consider. All revolving or pointing to the light. The light being Christ. Very simple for us in some of these points. First and foremost, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Jesus said to them, verse 35... For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk a while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in a darkness does not know where he goes. Now, Jesus referring to himself as the light should not be new to us. We have seen this before. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, In Him was life, and the the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And John the Baptist came. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through Him. And then we see in John chapter 8, verse 12, Recently, we went through this text, maybe months ago it was, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5-7, through 7, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no 
darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. David said in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Let that be a verse that is ingrained in our mind and stamped upon our eyelids. The Lord is my light. Lord, You are my light. Who shall I fear? What should I fear, O Lord? Jesus says to them first, For a little while longer the light is among you. So that leads us to believe that there would be a time when light would not be among them. Four times in these two verses, the light. There is a definite article and then light. This is referring to Jesus Christ. He referred to himself previously as the light, as we just looked at chapter 8, verse 12, and here he does as well. But only for a little while, he says to them, will the light be with you? He is physically going to be taken away from them. There is urgency to his reply. He does not get into a debate here about the Son of Man. Jesus knew the hour at hand. Jesus' soul was troubled. He knew what was to come. There was urgency in his reply. And he gives two commands. Walk while you have the light. This is a present, active, imperative verb. It's a command, and it is to keep on walking. It's not just one time I decided to walk after the light. It is keep on walking after the light. In the light. Walking in the light is following Jesus Christ, obeying His Word. Because you have been changed by the the power of God. And you are continually being sanctified by Him. We don't have to look far to remember who we were in our own lives. We don't have to think back too far. We don't have to go down memory lane. We go to the Word of God, remembering who we were. Paul says, you were formerly darkness. Not only did you walk in darkness, Christian, you were darkness. That described you, that described me. But now you are light in the Lord. So we are to walk as children of light. Those in a crowd Jesus was speaking to here, were being called by Him to turn from darkness and to walk in the light. He says, walk while you have the light. Again, this urgency here. The light will be gone. Walk while you have it. Walk in the light. So that, He gives a reason for this reason. So that darkness will not 
overtake you. So those who did not respond to what he said, to walk in the light, to follow the light, darkness would and did overtake them. He says, he who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. Those who walk in darkness may think that they can see where they're going, may think that they know where they are going, but they do not. One who is in darkness, their mind is in darkness spiritually, and it influences everything that person does. And how that person lives. Because, again, that person is darkness and walks in darkness. Jesus was in their midst, the light of the world. And he was shining his light among men. He was illuminating among men. And he was telling them to Turn from darkness, to turn to the light. Consider a lighthouse. There's many beautiful lighthouses up here in New England. Love seeing them. Don't necessarily want to go to the top of them. But I, it's a beautiful thing. You've, you, you know you've seen them. But if you consider what they are there for, or why they were there in the first place, for ships out at sea, in darkness, trying to get to shore. And from far away, they could see, see the beacon. They could say, oh, there it is. There's the light. And as they grow, go closer towards the light, closer towards the light, they see, oh, there it is. That's the way to go. That's the way out of darkness, is to follow that light. But what's the problem? If there are those on a ship say, Well, we love darkness. We don't want to go to the light. We're going to stay here. That's how it is with those who are walking in darkness. They don't want that light. They could see maybe the light shining. They don't want it. They love darkness. And the light exposes that darkness. And so rather than going to the light and making it to shore safe and sound, Shipwrecked, spiritually speaking. If one is not drawn away from walking in darkness into walking into the light, they are not to be considered as one is following Jesus Christ. Notice the warning, so that darkness will not overtake you. When a person is offered light, and they reject it, and they reject it, and they reject it, the darkness becomes more intensified and more intensified and intensified. Walk in the light while you have the light. Secondly, believe in the light. Believe in the light. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Again, there's the urgency here. Now, those of us who are children of God, who are sons of light, 
We say we already are light. Well, there's applications abound for us as well. Because we are to stay near the light, not go back out into darkness, are we? We were shipwrecked before. Some of us who were in darkness had some serious shipwrecks before we came to the light, before the light drew us in, brought us to shore, and then we, at, at times, foolishly would say, well, I remember that. Maybe, maybe that shipwreck wasn't so bad. And indeed, after considering it, we say, yes, indeed it was. The urgency, while you have the light, there was coming a time for those in his audience here, those whom he was speaking to, rapidly approaching where the light would be gone no longer available to them. Jesus, once again, calls those in a crowd to believe. The NIV says it, well, put your trust in the light. Again, we have a present tense verb. Ongoing, continuous belief. Whereas, become... While you have the light, believe that you have the light so that you may become sons of light. This is in the aorist tense, which is a once for all becoming. Keep on believing because you are a child of God, because you will become a child of God. Put your trust in Christ now so that you will become a son of light. We understand that one is either a child of light or a child of darkness. Right? There is no child of gray or whatever it may be. Light or darkness. Leon Morris says, Sons of light are not merely people with slight interest in light. Listen to this. Sons of light are not merely people with a slight interest in light. Saying, wow, that light is it's great. I'm, I'm slightly interested in it. You know, maybe we have hobbies or something. Oh, that's a slight interest for me. Sons of light are not people with a slight interest in light, but those whose lives have been so revolutionized that they may be characterized with reference to light. One cannot be a follower of Jesus, the light of the world, and be half-hearted about the light, he says. You know, in Matthew, Jesus calls us the light of the world. Christians, light of the world. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, as Christ calls them to believe, they will not walk in darkness. Absolutely will not walk in darkness as a way of life. 1 John 2, 3-6, through I'll just read it for you. By this we know we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. 
Very simple for us this morning to believe on Jesus Christ is to trust Him as our Lord and Savior and to follow Him. This means since Jesus is God, He demands worship and therefore He must be worshipped. And He's not calling us to worship Him our way, right? He calls us to worship Him His way. When people say, well, I'm going to worship God this way and do this and do that. God says, worship me this way. The refusal to follow Christ, the refusal to worship Christ, is to step into more and more darkness. Consider a long stairwell into a dark basement. And there's light at the door, right? You can see down, but you say, I don't want to go down there necessarily. So it's unfinished, by the way. I don't know what's down there. There's no light down there. But every time light is rejected, it's another step, another step, another step into that darkness. To where where one time that door will be shut. And darkness will overtake one who has rejected the light of Christ and he will not be able to open that door. Look at the final part of verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Just like that. Right after the warnings, after the call to believe, just like that, he's gone. He wasn't playing hide and seek. Jesus left. He departed. He hid himself from them. So we have walk in the light, believe in the light, and thirdly, withdrawal of the light. There is a withdrawal of the light. This is similar to what we find in chapter 8, verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. But here, in chapter 12, verse 36, it seems to signify so much more than his mere disappearance. As as wonderful as as that is, as amazing as that is, as he just disappears supernaturally. Hidden by God. But here, his withdrawal and hiding from them is putting his sovereign righteous judgment on display. He just urged the people to believe in him, to walk in the light, warning that the light would soon be gone. Then, just like that, it was. We ought to take this as a sober warning. That there will be a time in every person's life who rejects Jesus Christ over and over when he will not be available to that person anymore. They continue to harden their own heart, reject the light of Christ, and they may suffer sovereign judicial hardening of heart and will not be able to come to the light. As Hebrews chapter 3, which I invite you to turn to, has much to say about a warning to not harden one's heart 
We have gone to this text before, not too long ago. But Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast, the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, reference one verse there as well. Chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. And you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be on alert and be sober. That is the exhortation for us, sons of light, children of God, to be on alert and to be sober, for He is, as it were, even right at the door. As we go back to John 12, we consider the hardening of one's heart. John expresses this in the postscript of Jesus' message, of some of his final words in his public ministry. His proclamation and conclusion, we see what John says. After he went away and hid himself, verse 37 of chapter 12. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. They, he had performed so many signs. They have heard of some of these things. Some of them have witnessed some of these things. And there Jesus was in their midst. No man could dare debate him. No man could find fault in him. Yet they would not believe in him. Why? 
Well, this is just like in the days of Moses. If we consider that. And we may, we may think of such unbelief. It's unbelievable. The Jews had the, had the Old Testament. They had the Messiah standing right before them. They were unable to refute Him. They could not disprove His miracles. We would ask, how could they not believe? This large-scale rejection and unbelief. D.A. Carson suggests that there is ample evidence that the substantial unbelief of the Jewish people before the resurrection was a major hindrance to conversions to conversions of Jews after the resurrection. In other words, the, the Messiah was thoroughly rejected by so many. Why should we believe? Why should we listen to what he says? Well, Paul gives an answer to why this is in Romans chapter 9 and through chapter 11. Don't turn there. Study it up. But we also have the answer in our study before us this morning. We have it right here. The reasons why. Not to be surprised. Let us not be surprised that people would turn away from Jesus Christ. That people would grow hardened to the light. Most people in this world are not Christians. Most people in America are not Christians. And many people in churches in America are not Christians. So do not be surprised. That there is a fourth point, rejection of the light. The withdrawal of the light. Jesus warned, Jesus pleaded, and then he departed. The the withdrawal of the light, and then man's rejection of the light. Verse 38, we ask, why did this happen? How could this be? 38 very plainly tells us, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. It was to fulfill Scripture which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This, of course, is from Isaiah 53. We're going to turn to Isaiah 6 in a moment, just giving you a fair warning, a fair heads up. But this unbelief was foretold by Isaiah in fulfillment of Scripture. And the question is is asked here, Lord, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been been revealed? Who will believe is the question. The answer is no one. Well, Isaiah 53 also tells us that Jesus was despised and forsaken of man. That was the response to Christ. Despised and forsaken of man. Showing man's culpability and man's responsibility for rejecting Christ. We also see something similar to this. Uh, Paul cites Isaiah 53 and Romans chapter 10. The context is, is of Jewish unbelief and his preaching to the Gentiles. We're not turning there, but just giving you that. And we also see something similar towards the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28 when we see uh, Paul's ministry there. So you can look at that as well. But John continues here in verse 39 
He gives us the reason, uh, fulfill what Isaiah, the, the prophet which he spoke from Isaiah 53. Okay, so we see that to fulfill scripture. And then he says more in verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again. So we say, for, for what reason? When we see that in the scripture, or we see the so that's in scripture, we say, okay, we've got to look before. When we see for this reason here in this text, we can look for the verse before and the verse after. We say, for what reason? The verse we just read and what we are about to read. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes. And he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. So there's the reason in the verse before and the verse after. And we can look at Isaiah, invited you to turn there to chapter 6 of Isaiah. Isaiah had seen a vision of the Lord. The throne room. And I do not have... This is a study on its own, Isaiah chapter 6. This we could look at. This we could weep over. This we could uh, pray over. This we could uh, be convicted by. Um, This we could study for for weeks and weeks and weeks. Isaiah uh, chapter 6 His vision, I'll just give you a brief outline of it. Isaiah had seen a vision of the Lord, the throne room, verse 1 through 4. Verse 5 through 7, God deals with Isaiah's sin as Isaiah sees his sin and deals with his sin. And then verse 10, excuse me, 8 through 10, the commission. Verse 11 is the question. Verse 12 through 13 are the results. But consider this as well before we get into reading that text. This will speak of the sovereign judicial hardening of the people of Israel in Isaiah's day. This speaks of sovereign judicial hardening of religious leaders in Jesus's day in fulfillment of scripture. And as an application, if we consider Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 32, a sovereign judicial hardening of a people who continually reject Jesus Christ in our day. Isaiah had seen a vision. In the year, chapter 6, verse 1, in the year King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This Uzziah was a, was a good king, reigned for 52 years. And I, he, was, he was gone. And Isaiah must have been mourning. Isaiah... Uh, knowing that this good king was no longer on the throne, but God was. When we consider our day, we consider, well, who's on the, the throne or, or who's ruling over which country or, 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 or another country or whatever it may be. We say, oh, no, who's, look on, who's on the throne now or who's leading now or who thinks that they're leading now. It doesn't matter because Christ is on the throne. And that needs to be our story and our song. 
In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of His robe, filling the temple. This sovereignty, Him sitting on the throne, sovereign over all, exalted. The train of His robe, if you've ever seen a king or a queen and their robe goes very long, that's the train of their robe. The train of His robe filling the temple. There is no room for any other God. There is no room for anyone else. It is Christ on the throne. And then we see seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face. And with two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. Angelic beings standing or by Him, ready to serve Him. And then we have one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This example of worship. Look at this. Meditate upon this Scripture, brothers and sisters. When you come to church and say, Oh, I want to worship the Holy One. Holy, holy, holy is He. I don't want to stumble in this place. I want to come in this place ready to worship God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Our hearts to be filled with this glory of Christ. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And Isaiah saw this and he said, Woe is me! Woe is me for I am ruined in front of a holy God because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. How often do we approach God like that? Rather than flippantly. How often do we come to church like that? God, this is who I am, but this is what you made me to be. I come here to worship you, Lord. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Of course, we don't see visibly the King but oh, we do when He has saved us see the King's work in our heart and our lives. The Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, and he had taken away, which he had taken away from the altar with the tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Praise God we are a forgiven people. His wrath is not upon us any longer. And then, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? After Isaiah was dealt with, after he came before a holy God, saw his sin and was, was dealt with, then he said, here I am, send me. Willing, the point, willing to serve God God's way. Willing to serve the Lord His way. 
And he said to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, here is our text. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. That's quite the task for Isaiah, isn't it? Go and preach, but they're not going to listen to you. Their ears are dull, their eyes are dim. But he would go anyway. Their rejection that we see here, what Isaiah wrote here, we see the fulfillment of that and it being quoted in John chapter 12. Why, we ask, what could, what could God's sovereign purpose be for the hardening of the heart, specifically of, of the Jews here? Well, Peter has something to say about this in Acts chapter 2. We consider that. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Again, the question, why? What could God's sovereign purpose be in in hardening the hearts of people? Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. Just as yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan. It was God's plan. And foreknowledge, it was because of God's foreknowledge. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. We see verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, the direct responsibility. Point being the rejection of Jesus by the Jews here in John 12. What we read and how they treated Jesus and what they did with the Messiah in their midst. The rejection of Jesus brought the message of salvation to the Gentiles. Also, the hardening of one's heart is a judicial response of God. J.C. Ryle says, God had given over the Jews to judicial blindness as a punishment for their continued and obstinate rejection of His warnings. The words, they could not believe. They could not believe. That should cause us to tremble. That should cause us really to to weep. It should cause us as Christians to thank God that He has allowed us to believe. That He has caused us to believe. In His love, He has saved us. So now that we believe and we are sons of light, 
And it should also cause us to pray for those without Christ while there is still hope for them. While they are still breathing, we're still praying that they would indeed come to the light, Christ. In verse 41 in John 12, how do we know that this was Jesus as well in, John, in Isaiah chapter 6? Well, verse 41 clues us in, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. He saw Jesus and he spoke of him. Fifth point for us, hide in the light. Hide in the light, not in darkness. Well, we say, how can you hide in the light? You'll be seen, exactly. Hide in the light, Christ, not in darkness. We find a contrast. A contrast between Isaiah who saw the glory of the Lord and those who were here in, in John chapter 12, who were in love with the glory of the world. So Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. Isaiah saw a vision of Christ. He saw Christ here in John 12. Christ was in their midst. We saw, we read how Isaiah responded with what he saw. Here we see how they responded to Jesus from what, and we see what, what they saw and what they said and what they thought. Verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now, I wrestled with this a little bit as far as how could they even be believers then? Um, They believed Uh, The rulers believed in him, but they did not confess him because of fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Um, They loved their approval of men rather than approval of God. And I, I wrestled with that and I said, could these really be believers? I think so. Um, some of the rulers believed in Christ, but they would not publicly confess Christ. They loved the approval of men. To be put out of the synagogue meant to be an outcast. If someone was put out of the synagogue, which, which they feared, that was basically the end of your life as you, as you know it around. It was basically, you cannot function here anymore. We will not deal with you anymore. You're an outcast. Might as well treat him as a, as a, as a leper. It's not like, like here, uh, or somebody goes to one place, they could just go to another place. Or go to a church, go to another church, or whatever it may be. They couldn't just pick up and go. I submit to you these were compromised, fearful men who were concerned what would happen to them if their faith, even as weak as it was at this point, was found out by the Pharisees. And there is a text that clues us into where they were in this text, if this is indeed true, what, what I am submitting here that they were believers, fearful men, compromised. This would be early on in their walk. I mean, Jesus is right there in their midst. And wow, they're believing in him, but I'm not saying anything about it. Yet, perhaps after the day of Pentecost, perhaps 
As we find here in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading, and a number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And we say, well, maybe some of them were possibly in there as well. And we don't want to be too hard on these individuals here who were believing but were not confessing. We can sympathize with their concerns on some level. We may grapple with what would we do in their shoes. But it does not change the fact that Jesus calls his followers to follow him publicly and not in secret. He says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me, my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and the Holy angels. So in other words, we cannot take this one text and say, wow, we can be a secret disciple of Jesus and no one will ever know. No, it's not mandated nor modeled in Scripture. It is here um, in, in the Gospel of John to express who these men more were and in contrast to Isaiah's response as well. So the question for us, really, are we more like Isaiah who has seen the glory of God? Or are we more like the rulers concerned with the glory of man and the praise of man and the love of this world? We're to walk in the light, believe in the light. Even as Christians, when we think there's times when we walk in the dark cloud over our head, so to speak, and we feel as if there's a withdrawal of the light. But Christ is still there. And he says, come to me. There's a rejection of the light, which we will continue to see. And we will continue to see a rejection of Christianity more and more and more. So we are to hide in the light and not in darkness. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, He endured the darkness that no man, that no one else could ever endure. This darkness was for the hours that it fell on the land when God poured out His wrath upon Him. I submit to you that it was very complete darkness, perhaps. Complete darkness, couldn't even see. God's justice being satisfied. The punishment that we deserved was paid in full. He died for His people. He died to redeem us. He endured other darkness of the wrath of God when He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we would become sons of light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The light of of the Word of God has been laid out before you this morning. You who are here, maybe, some of you may be in darkness. You have no excuse. 
for a little while longer, perhaps, the light may be preached to you. Do not respond to the light by being overcome by darkness, by turning away from the light. Turn to the light, to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And for Christians, he has made us lights in this world. The lights of the world, lowercase l, by the way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Christians, it's not time for us to hunker down and hide out. We are lights. It's time for us to stand up and shine for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you have called us children of light. You have made us light. We were darkness. Only Christ could pay our sin debt. Fully God, fully man, the sinless Savior, our Lord, our King. God, we pray that you would help us to continue to walk in the light. God, you have caused us to believe in the light. Help our unbelief, strengthen our belief. Thank you, O Lord, that you never withdraw your light from us. You never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, we all have people we know and love who continue to reject the light, continue to reject Jesus. God, impress these things upon our heart to continue to pray for our loved ones who do not know you. And that you would rescue them from darkness and transfer them to the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to hide in the light. In Christ, in your word, in prayer, not in darkness. Whatever darkness we may be putting our foot into, Lord, or whatever it may be, shine brightly on that so that we may shun it and run to Christ. Give us a deep love for you, O God, and for your people and for the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.